The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, students, to this departmental orientation for the Footballology Department. I am the chair of the department, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and with me is Professor Emeritus, Dr. Danny Fenton. Doctor, how are you today? You know, I am doing okay. Um, it's kind of been an up and down week. Uh, started off really bad. Uh, some stuff at work just kind of had me a little bit frazzled. Uh, things are better now, but uh, earlier in the week, I I was leaving work and I borrowed my wife's car um, to drive. My son's using mine, and I as I was leaving the parking lot, I get into my car and I pull out my keys and. Uh, I'm looking down and I, and I got the wrong keys and I'm thinking, Oh, you know, I'm looking for my keys and I don't have them. I'm like, how am I going to get home? So I'm just having this moment like for a second. And then I think, well, how did I even get here? And then I realized what car am I in? And I actually got in a, a different white Nissan Altima that that's what my car is. And I was in somebody else's car. And then I just had completely no awareness of my surroundings and, so yeah, I just uh, got out of the car and then quickly got into my wife's car and everything's fine. But it's just like uh, okay, that that was uh, I don't think anybody saw me, but I was quite embarrassed by that. So a little little bit frazzled. So yeah, that's how my week began. Um, do you have any moments like that? That you know, embarrassing moments. That's so you actually got in somebody else's unlocked car that happened to have the same. General make and model as as your wife? Yeah, no, as as my car. So I had your I, car. I was driving, I which, which your son was driving at the time. Which my son was driving. So I'm so used. Gotcha. To, I'm so used to driving my car, and I get there is another. I see this white Altima all the time, and that parks, you know, in the parking lot. So, and yeah, I mean, nobody parks, nobody locks their car in, in our parking lot. We have cameras, and it's pretty secure. But yeah, mm. I get I get in, and I'm not really, not paying attention. Um, the car itself is was pretty clean, and then there was like. Nothing that jumped out that wasn't my car, you know, except when I realized I wasn't in my car. I, I didn't, the, cowboy, the Cowboys, you know, uh, 
floor mats weren't there, and I realized this this is not my car, and uh, <laughs> and I quickly got out. But and but I'm glad actually that I had my wife's keys because if I had my key fob and it wasn't working, I mean, what would I've actually done? Like got out and somebody give me a jump? <laughs> I mean, it could have gotten worse. I I guess I was mo I wasn't embarrassed. That I got in someone else's car. I mean, because like. How many times have we almost gotten to the wrong car because we just go up and it looks like our car and stuff, whatever. So I wasn't paying attention. But I'm more embarrassed that I actually was sitting there for a second thinking, how am I going to get out of this predicament? Like, I'm stuck because I don't have my keys to this car that, you know, didn't even get me mm -hmm. here in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's how that's where my mind was. So, yeah, that's that's how it went down for me. So I'm sure you got something like that that's going to make you feel better. Um, a little bit different, a little bit different, but it's an interesting thing that reminded me of, which was just to sort of like getting, like being somewhat absent-minded and getting into the wrong, uh, let's, let's say the wrong compartment. So I, um, as you know, I was recently, uh, for several months in California. Um, one of the things I was doing was, you know, getting my, my uh, getting my mom's house cleaned up. And one of the things I was doing was, um, like straightening out and emptying out one of her storage units. And so it, I went in there, I was tired. I went right next to her storage unit to the one next to it. Uh, hers was number 749. I walk over to storage unit number 750. Same kind of lock was on the, on the, on the door of the storage unit. I insert the key, key pops the lock, no problem. Take the lock off. I, I lifted the door to the storage unit up. And suddenly realized, like, this is none of the stuff that I recognize. Like, everything everything that was in, 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 in Unit 749, which was my mom's unit, was, it was, like, all books and, and um, you know, a couple boxes and things like that. But it was, it was, like, really just all, like, boxes of books. And I, I open this one up, and the first thing I see is a pair of, like, welly boots. It's painted with, like, flowers and stuff. And then I saw, like, this crazy, like, ornate chair. And I was like, what is this stuff? What is it doing in my mom's storage unit? You know, and it was so disconcerting because it was the same exact type of lock. I had just popped it. It was it didn't didn't give it like it just gave immediately. It didn't didn't fight the key at all. And I, I just stood there like dumbfounded for like a minute thinking, what the heck is going on? Is this some kind of practical joke? Did someone sneak these things in here? And, I, and I, the more I looked, the more I was like, none of this stuff is the same stuff. And then, it, and then I kind of figured it out. So I went, I went to the guy who, like, you know, was the guy who's in charge of the storage unit. He was a really, a really great guy, a really nice guy. And I sort of explained to him. And he was, he was actually a little bit chagrined because I was able to open somebody else's unit with such ease. Yeah, that, is, a, that is alarming. I, th I, think, I think actually both locks were sold to their respective tenants by the guy at the storage unit. And they probably had a batch of locks that had a very similar... Um, very sort of, sort of similar key and lock combination, but um, you know he apologized profusely and swore that he would never you know use that vendor for locks again. And I was like, dude, it's no big deal. I, you know, I, I just shut it and, and went about my day. And honestly, if they want to use their key on on the lock to my to my mom's storage unit and get a bunch of dusty old books, they're you know they're welcome to them. At any rate, it's all, it's all closed out now. But it was it was a similar sort of thing where I was standing there like thinking like I had my version of a second. Where are my cowboys formats? You know. Yeah, it's it's weird that your mind will start to rationalize before it starts to logically, you know, mm -hmm. get, present you, you know, with a reasonable explanation. You start your mind just takes you elsewhere, and 
That's what happened. It's a, yeah, it's a fascinating kind of view of like the way that our mind works on autopilot, right? Like we just sort of autopilot in, in, a, in the same grooves that we're in all the time. And I've gone to that storage unit multiple times to get stuff or whatever, you know. And so I just walked right past it, and and then and then, there, and then there's a some there's a kind of event or moment that happens to snap us out of that, and we can't really always even remember how we got there, you know. And so that I think it makes it doubly shocking because we're suddenly like, whoa, wait a second, what, <laughs> you know. Um, which actually, to me, I think is a nice segue to what we're going to talk about today, which is how did we get here? And I'm specifically referring to the Tyron Smith situation. What? So I. So uh, yeah. Please go ahead. No, the Tyron Smith situation. There's a situation. Yes. There is a situation. In case uh, you've been um, living under a rock, Tyron <sighs> Smith um, had a particularly nasty uh, injury in which his his um, hamstring detached from his knee, his left hamstring detached from his knee, I think from the bone behind his knee. And he's going to have to have surgery. He's out for the, I mean, people are saying he's out till December. Other folks are saying that that's optimistic. I, we can talk about this later, but I honestly believe that we've seen the last of Tyron Smith in a cowboy uniform and, and probably he'll retire before he plays another snap. I, that that would be my guess uh, if I were if I were forced to um, to lay down a wager. That's what I would. That's where I would bet. At any rate, yes. But I think that you know Cowboys Twitter is of course as as you might expect all uh, all a flutter, and I think it it might help for us to just kind of think about how did we get here, right? Um, so here's an organization that one can make the argument argument was on autopilot, and now suddenly they have to wake up and go, how did we get here? So I think it might be it might be useful if we can um, kind of break that break that down a little bit and kind of start at the beginning and, and think about all the, the, the kind of decisions that, that led to this particular moment, because um, I think sometimes we're missing sight of all those decisions and actually what the thinking was at the particular moment those decisions were made. Yeah. Well, this sounds like this is going to be kind of a little depressing, Rab. So can, can we at least finish off with something positive? What, what do we got going on after that? Well, after that, we're going to talk about, um, the way that the final cuts on the roster are made and, and as a consequence, what folks should be looking for from the final preseason game against the Seattle Seahawks. All right. Sounds like a good plan. So let's um, just kind of let's rewind a little bit and back ourselves up to let's go as far back as to last year's draft. The 2021 draft. 2021 draft, that, the, the one we know all too well when the Cowboys selected all-world uh, linebacker Micah Parsons, which I think that um, we can say the majority of people were pretty pleased uh, at this point, pretty pleased with um, with that choice. Even even some of the naysayers like myself, who uh, who really were pounding the table for another player that the Cowboys didn't select, and that player is tackle Rashawn Slater. Mm-hmm. So let's play a little hindsight right now and ask ourselves now, how are we feeling about that? Or, or let's talk about the Cowboys and the decision making there, and, and particularly involving this uh, this draft selection. Yeah, that was a really interesting moment, right? So, um, of course, you know, if you if you're following the Cowboys closely and you follow the draft at all, you you likely remember that. The targets going in were two elite cornerbacks, Patrick Sertan and mm-hmm. J.C. Horn, and right. both those guys, and the Cowboys had the 10th pick. And so the, both those guys went off the 
the board and the two picks before the, the Cowboys drafted, which then which then led the Cowboys to um, a kind of actually they traded back, and then the two guys that um, that I think made the most sense for them were still both on the board after that trade back, and uh, they had to choose between them. So at that particular time, um, we, we there's a couple of things we knew and a couple of things we didn't know. One was Tyron Smith had been injured and missed multiple games for consecutive years, but there, the number of games he missed was never more than like three. So he, you know, it was one of those things where you still got 13 games of, out of a, a healthy Tyron Smith, which was you know at elite blue chip level play. I actually personally, and this is not to, this is not a, like I told you so or anything, but I had been advocating for a couple of years that they needed to draft, draft the offensive tackle of the future. And I thought, let's just put him at guard and, and then we, mm-hmm. we'll kick him out. Right. Because I felt, especially like, especially like the, uh, there were a couple of drafts there that had a pretty good crop of offensive tackles. And I think there was a reasonable chance that one of them was going to be available when the Cowboys went on the board, but they went in different directions each of those years. And then this, this particular um, opportunity arose. At the time, we also didn't know that uh, Micah Parsons was going to be more than just an off-ball linebacker. So it looked like he was a really athletic, really freakishly big and fast off-ball linebacker, which meant that he was basically a more athletic version uh, and, and a more physical version of Leighton Vanderesh. But they, we'd already seen them invest, you know, high draft capital in 2016 and 2000. I guess it was 18 when they got Vanderesh, and then again, and then again that year in you know, high collision position. It doesn't tend to last. It, it just, it, you know, it seemed, it seemed a fruitless uh, expenditure of draft resources. And then we found out later that in fact, one of the things he does really well is rush the passer and um, you know, not just rush the passer, but rush the passer at a, an elite and potentially even generational level. Right. So he, he very well could be the Lawrence Taylor of this generation, in which case, of course you take him. So um I think the Cowboys had a vision for him. I think they, I, I, I'd like to believe anyway that they had a sense that he could do that, and that's why they valued him so highly, and that's why they rated him as the best defensive player in the draft, which is what they reported. Um, they reported afterwards, or they said to reporters afterwards, that he was the, the top-rated player, which means he was more highly ranked than guys they would have picked over him. Um, so it's a tough one, because at the time, I think I know I was really, really frustrated because to me, it seemed quite evident that they needed to take the opportunity when it came to draft the tackle of the future. And I, but I also just saw Micah Parsons as a, a super athletic, but nonetheless, you know, off ball linebacker in the, in the, in the same, you know, same vein as Devin White or Rokon Smith or one of those other guys who was a dynamic force, but probably not the kind of guy who's going to have a 10 year career and not the kind of guy who's going to, um, he's going to, he's going to rack up a bunch of, a bunch of tackles, but he's not going to rack up a bunch of sacks and behind the line of scrimmage type of plays. You know, he's not going to have the same kind of impact that, again, that looks like Micah Parsons is going to have. So I think for me anyway, and I, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, but for me anyway, it's one of those situations where um, at the time it didn't seem like a great pick, but I think, I think you have to go with the pass rusher every time. I think in, in retrospect, they made the right choice. Right? Yeah. Even though Slater has it started, I mean, looks for all for all intents and purposes like he's going to have a legit, you know, Pro Bowl caliber kind of like multiple visits to multiple visits to the Pro Bowl wherever they hold it now, uh, 
you know, in the lobby of Caesars or something in Vegas. Um, but wherever they decide they're going to hold the Pro, the Pro Bowl in, in future, he's going to have multiple visits and he's going to be a legit, you know, a legit quality uh, left tackle. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to agree with you. And I, I'm going to, as we go through this, we're, we're going to give this this decision by the Cowboys a, a passing grade because and I, I'm right where, I'm right there with you with all points. You know, I, I really wanted Rashawn. I, I mean, I think the left tackle is, we all know with Tyron Smith, the situation, and we, we can play him in, in left guard, which we all knew that Connor Williams, you needed, we needed an upgrade there. And when you look at position value, you know, protecting the edge is, is way more valuable than an off-ball linebacker. But, and this is the big but, and this is why it's we're... It's a huge it's, but. It's a huge but. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and there's two things. First off, Micah Parsons is is way more special than I realized he is. And part of that reason is, and the second reason is, he is an edge rusher. And I think when you compare an edge rusher, so throw, throwing that in, in the mix, suddenly you got a, a position that's just as equal just as valuable as tackle, left tackle. So, I mean, to me, I don't have any regret as much as I love Slater and as much as the Cowboys, they could really use. And that's another debate too, is like, if we start to weigh out, like, would would you rather in the sense of where, what would we be better at have Rashawn Slater now versus, um, you know, and, and not Micah? That, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty, that's, that's, a, that's a tougher question. But I have no regrets. I'm going to give the Cowboys a pass on on, on that choice, and I th- I think we can um we can let's let's just talk about move along to the 2021 season in itself and just talk about the offensive line play as a whole. What yes. is, what are your impressions of of the group and the coaching staff and the players they had in? I mean, are you are we are you going to give them a pass for for last year's? performance no 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 so yeah i, I just, just before i jump into that I, I just want to echo one thing which is um if we think about if we think about the money five positions right if we if, if we have to rank the money five i'm going quarterback and then i'm going defensive end slash pass rusher slash slash edge and then i'll and then i'll go either offensive tackle or wide receiver maybe even corner. I mean, to me, you can make an argument about any of those, I guess probably offensive tackle. Cause that's the guy who stops the guy who rushes the passer, but we've seen in 2007 and 2011 and 2017 inferior teams, all of which happen to be AFC, uh, excuse me, NFC, North, NFC East rivals um, uh, make a Super Bowl run because their defensive line was able to neutralize opposing quarterbacks so that their inferior quarterbacks could, um, were able to sort of level the playing field, so to speak. Um, and so, I mean, you, 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 I know there's things you can do to neutralize a pass rush, but when you have an elite pass rusher who can, who's so sudden, who can, uh, who draws so much, you, you have, you have to do that. So in retrospect, it was absolutely the right choice. So yes, back to your other question. Um, I I think last year was a really interesting and strange and I mean obviously it was a depressing bummer of a year the, the way the second half of the season went but uh it was it was such a challenge to kind of figure out why that happened because so many things happened in such a short period of time All right if you remember Zeke got injured against like the uh, against the Giants and then that was like that was like the game before they went to play New England and, and that New England was the game where uh, both Tyron got injured, and at the very end of the game, Dak got injured, 
And then it was soon thereafter that they decided that they wanted to pull Connor Williams because he was he he had a reputation for getting too many penalties, and they wanted to um, put somebody in there who was going to be was draw was going to draw less scrutiny, even if they knew he was going to be a lesser player at the position. Um, and then they they were also doing the kind of weird yo-yoing, punishing, and then but then rewarding Leo Collins, and who knows what exactly was driving that. Um, but it was just, it, it, it was so many things that all happened at once. It's really hard um, and remains hard to untangle exactly which of those things most affected the offense. I think the one thing that we can agree on is that the offense after the New England game never, even in the games like against Atlanta and the games, the, the route against the, uh, against the Washington team, the commanders, um, and even parts of the final game of the, of the, of the season against the, against the hated Eagles, they scored tremendous amounts of points. But if you, if you really look at like the explosiveness and efficiency of the offense, it was nowhere near any, any even in any of those games, um, what it had been earlier in the year. Yeah. They really struggled. They really struggled on offense and they particularly struggled on offense against good teams. And um I, I contend that the problems were largely a result of the offensive line and their inability to to run block. I, I really feel like so much of what the Cowboys want to do and do well is predicated upon the kind of ten, the kind of tension for a, a defense between stopping the run from uh, when you're when you're being mauled by a big strong offensive line and and versatile offensive line. And that word versatile, let's hold on to that because it's gonna it's gonna I think return when we talk about some of the other decisions that were made um and what do you do to stop that when they're just gouging you for five and then five and then five and then six and then seven and then five versus uh giving up big plays over the top and the cowboys bread and butter you know the first get all through the new England game and, and even into the new England game they were i mean remember they had the 500 yards of offense every game they had 200 yards rushing every game they were just it was awesome it was awesome and then it just stopped and they couldn't run the ball Dak didn't have, didn't have time. He just didn't, didn't seem like he trusted anybody. Uh, the, the other thing, of course, that happened was that Amari Cooper um, both got injured and got COVID. And so he wasn't practicing at all pretty much the whole second half of the year. So he and he and Dak were not on the same page. C.D. Lamb got injured. So all these things happened within a span of a few weeks. And so it's really hard to unpack what was what was the driving force. But I will contend that the driving force was the offensive line lost their ability to run block. And I think they did so for a couple of reasons, but uh, um, largely because Tyron Smith got injured and became a kind of shell of himself the rest of the year and because they replaced Terrence Steele um, with Lael Collins. Yeah, I, I honestly, I can't give them a, a passing grade no. for a couple of reasons. I think that the first thing that, first off, I mean, the penalties were, were really bad. And, and, of course, Connor Williams had a large part to do with that, but I think one of the things that really was frustrating for me is the, the coaching staff could not figure out what group of players they want out there, and this was an ongoing thing, and it was a constant shuffle, whether, you know, it was like the battle between Lyell and, and Terrence Steele, it's like, you know, who's going who's gonna to play, and then you had with the McGovern and... Um, and Williams, and it's and it was back and forth, and it was just constantly. There was no no cohesiveness at all between this right. group. And the, the I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know what they should have done. And I mean, and they I give them credit for trying things, but I but 
for them to not to have that group of players where they have t- two viable quality reserve players, basically. You have this they have an offensive line that was basically seven deep, and you can't find a way to make this work. There's something wrong going on there, and I, I don't know what it is. And and, I mean they, they, they were a deep group, and now you you look at you you look at that, and that's not even including Ty and Secchi in the mix who he played too. I mean, so you could even go as far as saying eight deep, eight you know eight line, uh, offensive linemen that oh yeah play yeah. players that we would love to have on our roster now, and and um and now you look at that situation when they were deep, and then now. As we're going to transition into the the next season, where we don't have that depth, it's it's very concerning. So, I uh, yeah, last year I, I honestly I I feel like, you know we we had we we took things for granted, but then we somehow not able able to to make it work, and that that was frustrating to me. So so I guess well, let let me ask you this question: Do you think so? I. I just said that I believe that their, that their offensive malaise at the end of the year was largely um, uh, dependent or a result of uh, the fact that they fell off on the offensive line. I mean, they, they, they didn't get the same quality offensive line play. Do you think the Cowboys saw it that way, given their off-season behavior? Huh. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yes and no. I mean... I think that they obviously we we saw what they where they were going with their first round pick. I mean, they felt like they made that pick in February. Um, so I I think it was clear they're going to upgrade Connor Williams now, and he was never going to be re- resigned. And um, I think that the other aspects of it, there's been complete negligence. Like they, I don't think that they were worried. I figured they had. They had Josh Ball, who we did another draft pick of last year's draft that we didn't get to see. They had him in their back pocket. You know, we didn't really know what we had. They were high hopes for him. You know, obviously, he actually, you know, performance-wise, was a better talent than what his draft price because of other issues. Uh, so mm-hmm. there, there, there was some upside with that guy. So I feel, I feel like they, they overvalued that part of it. And I mean, I feel like they sensed the urgency at left guard, but they. Not so much at the tackle position, so that's. I, so I guess I don't know how to answer because so so I guess partly they 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 saw it, partly they didn't. Hmm. Or, or I mean, it's also I think impossible for them to say that. And again, if we think about the decisions they made and whether they were right or wrong decisions, we have to think about whether they were right or wrong decisions in the in the moment. Right. And in the moment, it seems like what they did was after an analysis. Uh, came to the conclusion that the problem on the offensive line was Connor Williams and that they needed to replace him at all costs. Um, but that one of the other problems was that Leal Collins wasn't the kind of guy they wanted anymore or his or his play had diminished to the point where the whatever they disliked about him as a as a player or as a practicer as a, as a as a hard worker as a leader of of a young you know a, a fairly young team or whatever it was that that, that they took issue with um it was no longer his his play diminished to the point where it was it was no longer um enough to compensate for those other things so i, I want to which leads us to the next oh sorry go ahead i want to ask you what and, and yeah. I know we're going to talk about this, but I just want to point blank ask you when it comes to Lyle Collins, because I hear people say this. And so you have on one hand, you have 
personal issues, coaching staff fallout, and then you have not worth $10 million in comparison to what you get for Terrence Still. So it's a money factor. So it, I want you to give me like a percentage, you know, 80, 20, you know, what, like where is your mind? I know, I know which way you're leaning, you know, with Lyle, but give me like, give me some values, some, some ratios here. So I have a sense of how, where you think this decision came from. Oh, you mean like in terms of, is it a front office decision or a coach's decision? Yeah, is, did they release him because they just they don't they don't like the guy, or did they release him because just it's not money well spent? I mean, where's? Well, I think those things, I think those things are inextricably linked because, or what? But what's more, you're, so? pl- you're, you're playing for performance, and you're paying for performance, but and and you're willing to put up with someone who doesn't do all the all the things you're hoping a guy does, um, if the on field performance is is good. Um, and so, I mean, I guess I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cop out and say it's it probably 50, 50, because as soon as, as soon as those things start to level out, like where the on-field performance isn't as good, or you can get a similar or better on-field performance from another player, then suddenly, um, I think then the, then the money comes into play. And I think that, you know, we're not really talking about Amari Cooper here, but I know Cowboy fans are really up in arms about the fact that they, in the offseason, released both Amari Cooper and Leo Collins. And I think they released them both for very similar reasons, which was that um, they didn't love the way that they practiced. And they didn't think that that was a good example for uh, what is a, a young and ascending team Um and while, while both guys are certainly in the recent past have played it at what is unquestionably an all pro level. Um, Leo Collins is 2019. He was one of the best tackles in the game. He was, he was, he was superb right. in 2019. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Uh, but you know, I mean, that's 2019, 2022 is a long time in NFL life. Um, I, 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 here's, so for me, the thing is this, uh, I felt like you can't, I feel like you can't fully evaluate the Leo Collins decision without bringing Terrence Steele into it because if they didn't have anybody else suddenly putting up with the, the fact that the guy doesn't like to practice very hard, doesn't like to, doesn't like to lift weights or whatever it is that, that they didn't like about him. Um, like there, you put up with that. But I think the thing about that that we keep hearing about Terrence Steele is, first of all, he's very gifted physically. He's got great feet. He's a, he's actually a fairly powerful guy. He's not he's not as naturally powerful as you know as, as Zach Martin or or even um, uh, Tyler Smith. But he's pretty he's a pretty powerful pretty powerful dude. He does need to get stronger um, to be a you know to be a a kind of quintessential right tackle. Uh, but he works incredibly hard and he's made so many strides in in the time he's with the Cowboys. I think at some point you look at that and and find them fairly fairly equitable. Right, like it, it, it's possible that Leo Collins is a better player, but that but pretty soon he's going to become a progress stopper. And you see a guy who's doing everything that needs to be done to maximize his talent, and he's got a lot of raw talent. Right, it, it's not realized, and it certainly wasn't realized when he came into the league. But what do you do? Do you continue to like have Leo Collins play and keep this other kid on the bench as a swing tackle just in case? you know, Tyron, Tyron Smith goes down or do you just bite the bullet and say, let's get this kid reps because in two years, he's going to be clearly the better player. Yeah. And I think that's what they did. And now I think that's what they did too. And they make it. A, and now you have a situation where you have Lyle Collins 
making ten million a year, and and he's going to be your reserve, you know, your right. swing tackle. And so, he's going to. And I don't think he's psychologically and emotionally the kind of guy who can handle that and would do a good job of it. Like, there's some guys who would say, okay, great, I'm going to continue to compete, and in the meantime, what I'm going to do is is you know give make sure that the kids get good reps. I'm going to be a good teammate. I'm not sure that that's Leo Collins's game. I'm not sure that that's his bag. Um, and so, I mean, if you're a coaching staff and you and you look at that. You might say, okay, we're going to get a little bit of diminished performance now, but we're going to get better performance in a couple of years. And I mean, Leo Collins is only going to be with us for another year or so anyway. And do we want to then turn to a guy who's been on the bench for two years and not realize any of his talent? Or do we want to go ahead and just like give him the reps he needs to realize his talent? And I think that I think it's pretty, uh, pretty clear what they did. So I want to say one other thing about Leo Collins, which is that I know this is very unpopular and there's a lot of people who are like guys who watch a lot more tape than I do, who I, whose uh, point of view, I really, really um, respect. And so I'm going to, you know, that's the caveat here, but my feeling last year is that actually their running game in particular. And that's the thing that we're, that we were talking about that really sort of, I think for me anyway, was the catalyst for their offensive decline in the second half of the year. I felt like their running game was diminished when Leo Collins replaced Terrence Steele. And I don't think it's diminished because he's a, a, a less powerful player, quite the opposite. I think he's diminished because he's a less mobile player. And I felt like, and again, this may be really a byproduct of like Zeke losing a couple steps because he got injured or, or whatever. But I feel like when Terrence Steele was in there, they were able to run the full playbook and uh, if you remember early on in the year, there were a lot of plays where they would run plays to the perimeter that they, they really loved that pin and pull play where a tight end or two tight ends would, would line up outside and block down. And then, and then like um, Terrence Steele and Zach Martin would pull around and, you know, and Zeke would follow them. And it was just de- a devastating play and such a great counter to, um, you know, all these really sort of power runs inside between the tackles. And they were able to run that to both sides because Connor Williams was a very mobile guard. And, um, and so it, they had, they had, a, they had a, a kind of balance on both sides and we're really, to, we're really able to run the, the, the sort of entire sort of horizon of the field. And, and that, that makes the defense have to prepare for basically to defend all areas of the field. And then when Leo Collins went in there, and it might be that that coincided when, when the, with the moment when Zeke went in, uh, excuse me, when Zeke got injured, sorry. Um, but it just sort of felt like not only did a running game stop being effective, but one of the reasons why it was effective is because they weren't challenging defenses to basically defend all the gaps, you know, from sideline to sideline anymore because Leo Collins didn't have the wheels to, to be effective out, out on the edge. And, and it feels like there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of potential runs that um, no longer found themselves on the play sheet. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, even if tape shows that, that Leo Collins was a better player at times, I feel I just sort of felt like that decision made sense at the time, too. So personally, so we, we've got three decisions now. You pick Micah Parsons over Rashawn Slater. I, I don't think we can argue with that decision. And the moment, in the moment, that made sense. We, right? like, we like it. Right. I, I think that uh, it looks like what the Cowboys did was to look at their offensive line play last year and decided that they needed to prioritize that or wide receiver. I mean, I think we can agree that one of the two, they, they realized that the offense was the problem. They needed to in, inject the offense um, at one of those positions. And those happened to be the two positions where they were getting rid of, of veterans who, whose money began to exceed um, their performance, particularly their performance from Monday through Saturday. I, I, think, I think on some level, we can agree with that. Like they identified the right areas right and so the idea is then whatever the best player is who comes up who's available in those areas will get them and they did that right I mean, there was a terrible run on wide receivers and a terrible run on offensive linemen that i know we talked about immediately after the draft was just shocking and depressing because all these guys that we thought they were gonna that they were gonna target and that we've been talking about them potentially picking were there were like with six or seven picks before and all went off the board, like in the, in like the six or seven picks before the Cowboys picked and none of them were available um, when, when it came time for the Cowboys to pick except for Tyler Smith. So I, I think that we can, I mean, where do we do, where do we, I guess we can disagree with the plan that they didn't spend a bunch of draft capital to trade up and make sure they got one of those guys other than Tyler Smith. Maybe they didn't, they didn't draft, you know, trade up to get a guy who was more properly a left tackle. But when you think about it, the guys who were properly left tackles went way high in the draft and right. the other guys that they could have traded up were basically like Tyler Smith, right? right? Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green were essentially Tyler Smith guys who were probably guards who could play tackle. Right. So why trade up for that when you got a guy you like as, better than the other two who basically fills the same function so i think that it, an argument can be made that they that they identified the the positions that needed to be upgraded and 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 spent draft capital to upgrade those positions they did they got it they spent a, a top 100 pick on both of those we knew they were going to spend the top 100 pick on both of those it was just a question of which pick was going to go where right so can we disagree with that no it's a, i mean honestly no, I, I, I don't. I, I, right. And so, and so how about, no, 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 let's go to the next one. How about Leo Collins? And given everything we've just talked about with Leo Collins and the fact that, that uh, we've identified Terrence Steele as a talented kid who's, who works really hard and is going to maximize his athletic potential. Um, and ultimately, at the end, was, was playing reasonably well enough so that he could be talked about in the same breath as Leo Collins. And, and this may be where we'll get pushback, but that's sort of, that's sort of how I'm defining him do we want to continue to play the progress stopper or do we do we go ahead and and let the kid who's a lesser player admittedly but could be a bit will almost certainly be a better player in a couple of years what do we do there and i think that we've sort of talked about the fact that that's the right decision too yeah we you and i are probably on a you know a smaller island a group of people that that feel this way but but i do agree with you i'm so 
and I'm not going to, you know, like you said, we're making these decisions, we're making these judgments for for the moment. And I don't have a problem with it. I'm, I'm going to give them a pass on, on releasing Lyle Collins, too. I, you know, that's that's not where I have an issue. So, so where do you have an issue then? So, so, th- so, what's the next decision? Is there is there another n- sort of nodal moment that we can look at here? Yeah. So, t- for me, and this could be that a little bit just being s- spoiled over the last few years on the way the front office has handled the swing tackle position uh, since the Chaz Green debacle. I think ev- mm-hmm. ever since that, I think they've done a a really good job, and we can go back. and I, I don't have the list in front of me, but you know, I, I certainly can remember off. You know, we were talking about, you know, Cam Fleming, you know, Cam Irving. Then you got Ty Inseki, and you have younger guys that have contributed, like like with with Steele, and then with Brandon Knight. And you just have, I think they've done a really good job of making sure that they have adequate depth at the tackle position in the past. And this mm-hmm. is the part that gets me is that I'm not sure what they're thinking now because the only depth we have is two players that haven't played with, with Ball and Waletsko, and then um, another prospect who, you know, we a month ago we were like, well, maybe, and Avante Collins, as, you know, you know, one of the players that they just kind of scoped out and they like, you know, it's kind of been in a reserve role. But, um, but what we've seen from those guys has been nothing helpful for to give the Cowboys any depth along the tackle. So I'm, I'm still waiting for this free agent signing. You know, I, I know, you know, you're a little bit more patient in that regard, but I have already, I think I've been just probably um, nervous about this for probably going on the third week here, waiting for mm-hmm. the Cowboys because where is our Ty Inseki? You know, where is our, um, where's our Cam Irving? And and because I don't know what their plan is, but this is they don't seem like they got one. Rabs, I mean, do you do they got one? I I think they actually do, and I think they do, and I think they're I think frankly their plan makes sense. So I I. So let's 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 talk about offensive tackle. Uh, offensive tackle is is one of the two positions in the league where I would argue that there aren't enough of them, and that there are fewer than thirty-two of them. Particularly left tackles, there are fewer than thirty-two left tackles who who are capable of being, um, you know, sort of elite players. And if we, especially if we think about the guy, like our good friend Landon McCool, defines them as tackles who need help and tackles who don't need help, right? And I think that tackles who don't need help are a rare breed. And they're really hard to find, and there are fewer of them than there are NFL teams. Okay, so let, let's let's just leave that there. That's yeah. that's that's point one. So uh, then there's the other group. There's a group of there's a sort of big mass of guys who can play tackle uh, who need help, right? And so I guess my question is, what's different between Ty and Seki? Um, uh, who are some of the other guys? Uh, uh, the, 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 the two cams, Irving and um, Fleming, um, you know, any of the other guys that you've mentioned. And um, and even a, a ball or, I mean, I guess we could include Well, let's go, although he seems like he doesn't need another year in development. Um, if those young guys get a little bit of seasoning. So I guess here's, here's, my, here's my thing. 
the Tyanseki's of the world are a dime a dozen. You can you can get them in free agency. You can get them uh, during final cutdowns. There's always one available, right? If you have two young tackles in camp, why not prioritize during camp giving them as many reps as possible so that they can get those precious reps and get those precious reps against the highest quality opponents as, as, as they can. So if those both those guys are now running second team, then that means they get a lot of second team reps against really good defensive uh, defensive ends and defensive tackles because the Cowboys have very impressive depth along their defensive line. So why, and we, you know, we talked about progress stopping. We talked about Leo Collins as potentially being a progress stopper for Terrence Steele. Why allow a progress stopper to get a bunch of reps when ultimately you can get the same guy during free agency and you can get the same guy during cutdowns. Yeah. So I, I think that's the plan. I think that's that that certainly has been the plan anyway, or at least a, one of the one of the possible pathways that, that they've been prepared to pursue. And I think that you know part of part of it, this also, if we think about the long term plan, I think the long term plan has probably been, since they didn't draft Rashawn Slater, has been to draft uh, Tyler Smith and then. Um, when it's very clear that, Ty, uh, that uh, Tyron Smith can no longer play to kick Tyler Smith out to left tackle and make him the left tackle of the future, or at least to see if that's a possibility. I think they drafted him with that as a definitive possibility. I don't know that they want, I don't know that they, that this coaching staff wants to invest first round picks in interior offensive linemen who are career interior offensive linemen. I think they're a little smarter than that. Um, and so I think that the, the, the plan was always to kick him out. And now we're now we're going to see how the kid can do because I think that you know that they didn't necessarily think that the Ty, that Tyron Smith was going to go down for the whole year. Now um, I think they probably thought that Tyler Smith was going to get an audition at left tackle at some point during this year, and then they were going to find out how the kid did, and 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 that was going to help define what their plan was going forward. So I I think that I think the thing that 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 fans overlook is that this that second tier. Uh, or even the second and third tier of offensive tackles are basically a dime a dozen. There's a whole bunch of vets out there. They're all the same guy. They get by on the fact that they've been a journeyman in the league. They, they're crafty. Their technique is solid. They can step in during training camp. They can step in b- before game one. It really doesn't matter, right? They're going to need help. You're going to have to run a lot of 12 personnel either way because you don't have a left tackle who can be on an island and there's no other left tackle who can be on an island that's available. Like people keep thinking, oh, they needed to, they needed to have made, you know, gotten that kind of guy in, in a free agency. Do you know how much a left tackle who, or first of all, you know how often a left tackle who can, who can be on an island is available in free agency? Yeah. About as often as a franchise quarterback. Right. It never, ever happens. And when it does happen, it's usually you can trade for him and it costs you a couple first round picks. Right. And I mean, look, look at what the look at what the Eagles paid for. Um, uh, uh, what was the name of the what's the name of their um, offensive tackle they had for years? Was, Jason uh, you know, Peters. Like a hall, Jason Peters. He's a Hall of Famer. Like he he, he would the, the Bills developed him, and then and then the Eagles paid like a couple of first round picks for him. That that's what it, that's what it, that's what it costs. If you really want to get if you really want to get a replacement for your elite blue chip left tackle, you have two avenues. One. Yeah, you find a team that wants to move on from someone for salary reasons or some other, and you and you pay a couple of first round draft picks just as you would for an elite 
guy at any position of great import, right? Any any of the money five positions, or you draft one in the top half, the top half of the draft, preferably in the top 10. They had an opportunity to draft one in the top 10 when um, Rashawn Slater fell to him, that they, they went in a different direction. I think that that was the right choice, but it's that choice that leaves them where they are right now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, so it can, it can be both the right choice and the choice that has left them hamstrung. Yeah, the, the thing that I... So I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think that I mean I, I will concede that we're not we're not getting a, a, a guy that doesn't need help, there, and I, I'm not looking for one. But I think the problem that or the thing that I I, I disagree with you a little bit is that they're all the same. Um, I agree that you know dime a dozen, okay, but but there we I don't think that they are all the same because a lot of teams go after and they go they find these guys and then some of them are are okay and some of them are absolutely dreadful. And my issue with this is the Cowboys aren't even giving themselves a chance to f- make sure they don't got one of those guys that are dreadful. Because I, I know I, I feel like a veteran's coming. We, I, I don't. It's like it's, it's got to be coming. But are we going to get the right guy? I mean, are we going to get him in here a little bit and find out that well that was wrong? And then, then then where are we left? Are we just go on to the next one? And we're just gonna, it's going to be it's it's going to be a nightmare. And I feel like we're really leaving ourselves. Extremely vulnerable when we. I'm not looking for a guy who's who's great. I'm looking for a guy who's not terrible. Because if we got a guy who's terrible, then then we're in real trouble. Then the offense becomes completely ineffective, and it's it's a different Cowboys team. It's a different Cowboys season. Well, well, let me ask you this: Don't they already have that guy on the roster? Don't they already have that guy in Bala and or Waletsko? I mean, they, they, I know, I know. I listen. I know they haven't been great. In camp, and I know they haven't, they weren't great in the preseason games, but they also like the Cowboys weren't scheming anything. They weren't, they weren't moving protections to, to them. They weren't, they weren't, um, you know, trying to do everything they could to help them and those kinds of things. I, I think that, I think the feeling probably in Dallas is that those guys from a talent perspective are every bit as good as, as Ty and Seki. The one thing that differentiates them is, is, is experience and that. I mean, you know, I think I think we can certainly disagree with this, and I'm not sure that I agree with it. But I think that spending the off season to figure that out doesn't seem like an unwise choice to me. Like, that seems like it makes a lot of sense, and I, I, I could see doing the same thing. Um, but I, and I also don't know that we can judge offensive line play from preseason games all the time because they're not scheming anything. Like they're gonna if if either of those guys has to play, they're gonna they're going to get a lot of help and they're going to, you know, they're going to scheme things for them. And, and I think part of the, part of the point of preseason games is to just see what the guys can do and learn from what they evidently can't do. And there's, and they, they put a lot of that on tape. So I think I, I, I'm being glib a little bit when I say they're all the same, obviously there are, there are probably multiple gradations of quality, et cetera. And there are guys who are definitely like not athletic enough to survive at left tackle. But but ultimately, like if you're if you're looking at if you're looking at the season from the from and you're it's like February or March and you look at the season and you like some things you've seen from Josh Ball in practice and you think okay if we give Josh Ball all the uh, you know a lot of OTA reps and a lot of a lot of practice reps in camp and in preseason games is he really going to be that much different a play a player than Ty Inzeki and I can see. A very rational being saying no. It could even be better. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know, but I mean, I, I mean, I've been watching ball closely, and you know, I'm not as critical of him as some are. But at the same time, mm-hmm. 
when when you know thirty percent of your plays are are complete whiffs or that that is too much and that that's, yeah. that's enough to kill drives it's enough to um, get your quarterback hurt and it, and it just I feel like I feel like ball is I'd feel much better with ball if he was the fourth tackle you know versus mm-hmm. the third mm-hmm. but uh, so I, I I'm just a little bit little bit worried about um, well he he is the fourth tackle because the third tackle has always been um, has always been uh, uh, Tyler Smith yeah well well. You had that tweet, right? And the fourth option was Tyler Smith kicks out, and and, that, and I think that's been that's been their option all all along. They've known that was an option. It just got accelerated uh, yeah. in a way that I think nobody hoped for or anticipated. And I, so I think you know my I, feeling on the Tyler Smith tackle. I do, I do. I, I, so I agree with you that, that this decision can is probably the most questionable of their decisions. But I understand the decision. Like I understand that they invested it. They invested it, uh, you know, a reasonably high draft pick in ball. I mean, not, it's not a high draft pick, but a reasonably high draft pick in ball. And I think probably evaluated him from a pure, purely football perspective as being a better player than his draft position. In which case, like you give that guy some development and is he really going to be that much different than, um, you know, a, a, a tie in Seki, et cetera. And are you really missing out on a lot? I think the other thing about that is, are you really missing out on a lot by not bringing that guy in in free agency when that guy's probably going to be available um, either by a, by a trade or um, just by being on the street uh, b- between final cutdowns and, and week one. And I think it may be possible that, that you know, that, that they feel like the guys who are available now are every bit as good as the guys who were available then. And so why bring one of those guys in early and stunt someone's development when, when you actually like some things about the player? That's fine. But can we get them in now? Can we, can we bring them in now? Can we, can we agree that they've gotten reps and, you know, you're going to see them tomorrow or see them so, prior, prior. Still one more, Still one more game for reps there, my friend. We're, we're, yeah. the, the, the preseason is still training camp. Yeah. And so uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, maybe they will. And so, I, you know, I think that I think the, the, the larger point of this exercise is that the, the Cowboys are now in a position where they're screwed. Okay, we can we can we all agree that that that's the case. That that this is this is to me equivalent to them losing Dak for the year. Okay, in terms of the impact it's probably going to have, but that that was the result of a series of decisions that I think are all both logical and defensible in their in their in isolation like so each of those is a logical defensible decision that they that led us here the 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 ultimately the solution to all of this is that they had two first uh two top 10 picks in the 2021 draft and drafted both Slater and Micah Parsons and then we'd be happy yeah well they didn't so they didn't uh, so. and so they didn't so, right yeah um right. So I mean, again, but, but that's football. That's the NFL, man. Yeah, that's so. Let's um, before we run out of time here, let's let's quickly just shift gears and and absolutely, uh, yes. Let's talk about this. So we got this one more uh, preseason game for the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. They play the play the Seahawks. Um, and let's just quickly run through. I I want to actually make a couple statements about things I'm looking for and just the roster in general. And then I want you to just give me your overall impression of like how, you, what you think is important about these final roster positions. And so sure. first thing I want to say here with Cooper Rush and Will Greer to the backup quarterback battle. First off, I, I don't think there's any chance they keep three because 
neither of them is a development guy, in my opinion. I think it's that's that's left for the Mike Whites and the Ben Danucci's, and, and we don't got any of those. So we're only keeping two. Um, personally, I'm a, I'm I like the upside of Greer, but we always have to re- remind ourselves that Cooper Rush is he fits you know that. He fits that role in, the, in you know, helping pr- pr- prepare the, the the starter and helping and you know just the, you know a, a player that that you can lean on for a couple games and like if if like if Dak went down now instead of Tyron I would uh, Tyron I, I'd be like uh, I hope they keep real Will Greer but if Dak's missing one or two games I'm fine with Cooper Rush so that's kind of where my mind is there I just wanted to throw that out there with the running back situation also too I think. Um, I think it's going to be between Rico and Malik Davis. Uh, I, I think they're very similar. I know that the Cowboys love Rico. Um, the, you know, that's probably where they'll go. Personally, I think that Malik is better in, in the sense of he got some extra player control. I think, you know, I see him contribute on special teams. And personally, I mean, I would even give him a slight edge as far as better, but that's splitting hairs. So that thing, and the final thing I want to say before I give this over to you there is with the linebackers, they always end up going heavier than we think they will. Um, I know yep. a lot of us are thinking, is it going to be Luke Gifford or are they going to go Devin Harper? I think both of those guys are going to make the roster, the core special teams guy. And it wouldn't surprise me if they had another one, a player um, like Malik Jackson, who they can come in and, and um, add depth because there's there's always more linebackers there. So that's that's the things that I'm looking for this final this final game as far as trying to separate those Position battles. I don't think um, the only other one is the the is what's going on at wide receiver, and you can kind of give me your your feelings about that and any of the other things. I think you landed on a couple of really important things to, to think about as we head into the final cutdowns. One is the balance. So uh, I'll get I'll get I'll get to the things you mentioned in just a sec. Uh, uh, the balance between the numbers of players that they keep on offense and the number of players they keep on defense. So there's 53 people on the roster. Um, three of them are special teams. Um, so that means there's 50 guys. And so, so, you know, if you have an ideal sort of, you know, split, you've got 25 guys on offense and 25 guys on defense. I've seen them go as heavy as 27 and 23 in terms of their imbalance. I've never seen them go. I don't think in all the years I've been following this 28 and 22, it feels like that this year, the defense is much heavier uh, and deeper in terms of talent than the offense. So I would not be surprised at all to see them go 27-23, where they have 27 defensive players and 23 offensive players. And I think then if we think about 27, you know, w- when people are putting out their 53s, people are, are including as many as 12 defensive linemen, as many as, as 11 or 12 defensive backs. Obviously, they can't do both of those because then there will only be like three or four linebackers. So... Uh, there's going to be some really interesting cut downs on the defensive uh, line and a defensive back, particularly uh, it's really sort of astonishing how they've suddenly managed to get deep at both defensive tackle and safety after being shallow there for so many years. So the first thing is I think there's going to be probably better players on defense that are cut to keep uh, players on offense just for balance's sake, because they can't go like, you know, 21, 29 or something like that, right? They can't go way, way unbalanced and and still feel the team. And I think the other thing is then we think about like, I think that the example you gave is a really interesting example, which is Rico Dowd versus Malik Davis. Um, And that's certainly, that's clearly the battle for the third running back position, but in some ways they're also battling the 11th corner uh, you know, the, the, the 11th or 12th defensive lineman, the seventh linebacker, right? Because it, it's, 
um, it's all those guys sort of fighting for the last few spots. It's not just that we know we're going to keep three running backs, which is the third running back. Uh, I think that's an open question of whether they'll keep three running backs. And the other thing you mentioned was in, t- in terms of t- keeping Malik Jefferson is that one thing I think it's really important to look out for is how many guys who weigh about 250 pounds do they, do they keep? So the guys we're really talking about here then are fullbacks, tight ends, and linebackers. Because in in, a, in the last few couple, couple, three years, as they've changed the special teams rules, those guys have become the kind of de facto linemen, quote unquote, in, on special teams. And so you have to have enough of those guys to be able to field your special team. So that means they tend to go oftentimes a little, little longer at those positions, as you just mentioned, right? They always go longer at linebacker than we, than we assume. They tend to sometimes, you know, keep tight four tight ends more than we think. Um, so, they're going to have to go deeper at that, at those combinations, right? So for them, it's really like, okay, how, which, which combination of 250 pound guys are we going to be, um, be able to keep? And so because of that, I think that the, the one thing that's really a tell in, in a meaningful way um, during this, 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 what is now the last preseason game is who's starting on the very special team units, but particularly on the punt and kick coverage units in the first half. Take a look at, at who's starting, and that'll, that'll, I think, give you a lot of information about who the front runners are for those final positions. So are, are Dowdle or, or Davis or uh, is Dennis Houston or, or whoever, whoever we, we might think might be the sixth or seventh wide receiver? Are those guys starting as gunners, for example? Um, are there, uh, you know, like, is, is, is this, you know, sixth, seventh linebacker, are those guys um, playing a prominent role on multiple of those teams, et cetera, because um, that's going to be their role. And so uh, the, what they do on defense and what they do on offense is meaningless. They're, if, they, if, if any of those guys are playing meaningful snaps on offense or defense, it's because you're, it's because you, you've run out of players and you're screwed at the position, right? They're there to take up you know, all important special team snaps. That's their, that's their, their calling in life. And so, um, we're, we're, you know, they're going to show who the starters are uh, during this game because those starters are not getting pulled. I think most of the special team starters are probably not being pulled. There, we're, we're going to see most of them because most of them are down roster players. And Fossil wants one last opportunity to see how his combinations work. So watch carefully, above all else, the special teams units, particularly the punt and kick uh, return and coverage units. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. And especially, you know, if you don't think it's it's important, then you. Then you know if you if you can be the one guy that that uh, springs that block that gets Turpin in space that allows him to you know take it to the distance. I mean that's that's a valuable member. So special teams is you know super important. And I tell you what, they, those guys did a good job with with during the return too. And I really think that you know it's 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 going to come down to exactly that. Or you know one a, a player that's just a little bit better in his special teams role than than this other guy because um, it's 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 valuable especially when you can max out that value with a with a special player like Turpin so great points Rab uh, you know it, you know it'd be interesting to see how things play out well obviously next time when we're here next time the rosters will be made for the Cowboys so we'll have um, we'll have a chance to talk about that but that is our show for today um, if you haven't yet please do subscribe to the Blog and Voice Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, roster battles, or 
you know, when you had an absent-minded moment, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFanum24. And Rabs is at RabbleRouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great day, great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. And don't forget to bring an apple for the teacher. <laughs> <laughs>